Good morning. Great to have you here this morning at First Baptist, and I'm going to invite you to take out your bulletin. You see, obviously, on the front of that, we are in a series called When the Game is Over, It All Goes Back in the Box. Really, you're looking for and fishing for your outline that I hope that you will have in front of you as well. If you haven't uh, kind of guessed it by now or figured it out, we are in a series that is uh, dealing with and talking about living with an eternal perspective in life, which I think is so needed in this day in this age where uh, so many people live for just today and don't even think about the life to come. And uh, a number of years ago, I had an opportunity to teach a class on parenting. And we were talking a little bit about uh, what it means to have kids and responsibility of them and how quick that is and all that. And and I wanted to share this illustration with you. So Brittany and um, Paige, do you mind guys coming up here and help me with this um, illustration? You got that end? If you can take this end... Um, let's call this a timeline. And this is a timeline for all of eternity. So from when time began, and with God it didn't, but as far as we know, it just keeps going on and on and on, all the way through our life until when life is over and um, eternity goes on and on and on. And sometimes that can just kind of boggle your mind and make you just go crazy if you think about how long that is. Because Scripture talks about God is eternal and we will be eternal someday. But today... You are here, and your life has been given to you by God, but if you think of it on the scale of a timeline such as this, do you realize how long your life lasts? There you are. That's it. You think about all of what happened before when God existed, all of what happened and throughout all of time and how time will go on and on and on and on and on and on and on. This is you. Congratulations. There you are. Just a dot, just a wisp of what time is. And what we need to talk about is as we spend that time, how do we prepare for that time, because that's what matters. All right, thank you. Hey, give my lovely assistants a a hand, would you? Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. Last week, I gave out stickers that talked about that uh, temporary things, the things that are temporary in our lives, the things that are eternal in our lives. Uh, I want to remind you, the outer is temporary, the inner is, is eternal. In fact, Paul hits on this when he says the outer, outwardly, we are wasting away. What, what he's really saying there is old man wrinkle will come for all of us. And if you have any doubts about that, just turn and look at your neighbor right now, okay? Yeah, it hits. It hits for all of us. In fact, you know, they say that when you reach age of 30, that um, you're losing brain cells when you start to reach that age. In fact, you're you are losing thousands of thousands of brain cells every day after you hit 30. In fact, if you listen very, very quietly, you can even hear some of them die. John Orberg writes about this, and in some of your community groups, you're going to hear a little bit about this. But, but you know, we, we change, and our bodies change, and they're wasting away. In fact, the, the, the weight shifts from the poles down to the equator. 
right? Right? In, in, in your lives, hair starts growing in places that you don't want it to grow and you can't grow in other places that you want it to grow, right? I mean, it all kind of changes. In fact, some of you, and I know some of you in the venue as well, who, who, are, who are age 25 and below, you think this will never happen to you, right? Right? You think it will never happen? You, you think you will never grow old like that? Uh, and everybody in here who is like 30 and above, um, we understand, we love you, but it will happen. And uh, frankly, uh, we're kind of looking forward to it for you, all right? All right? That you're going to experience it again someday. Because old man wrinkle will come, and you can exercise it, you can starve it, you can Botox it, you can Rogaine it, you can stretch it, you can nip it, you can tuck it, you can lift it, you can tan it. You can dress it up at needless markups or Nemus Marcus, whatever you want to call it, but old man wrinkle will come for you, and sooner or later, all of us will be expensive worm food. That's all it is at the end of time. And now that I've cheered you all up on this uh, message today, let's talk about what you do in this brief amount of time, on this little tiny dot, on this timeline that will go forever and forever and forever and forever and forever. And the decision, the decision someone made this week in one of the community groups to say yes to Jesus changes the whole trajectory of your life. Because you make decisions in just this one dot that will either last eternally in heaven or eternally in hell. And God has given us each the opportunity. God has given us each time in our lives that we can live to our own agenda or we can live with an eternal perspective. And so how do we live each and every day as though it's our last? How do we keep those priorities? How do we keep first things first? Well, Jesus was the greatest example at this, um, how, how to know how to keep what's important and, and what is not important. And um, if you think about it, his calling, he knew exactly what his calling was out of Luke chapter 19. He says, I have come to seek and save the lost. That's what I've come to do. And he had that as a laser priority in his life. He, he, his mission, his purpose was to restore people to God the Father. And so he uses 30 years to kind of prepare for that. He's got three years where he just focuses on what matters most. And in those three years, he turns the world upside down. So that millions of people are still talking about him today. Millions and millions, billions are talking and worshiping him today. How did he do that? He did that because he remembered what mattered most. He remembered his priorities. He remembered to keep first things first. And in your community groups that you're going to be going through this week, you're going to talk about how do you keep score with what really matters in life. In fact, here's what I want to do. I want us to shadow Jesus for just a little bit on a day that he lived. And so if you have your Bibles, open them up to the book of Mark. Mark chapter 1. And we're going to take some lessons from what Jesus did in um, kind of really keeping priorities and focus with an eternal perspective. So let's start off on a Sabbath day. Mark 1, verse 21 says this. And they went to Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath... Jesus entered the synagogue and was teaching, and they were astonished by his teaching. 
So this is a great way to begin. He has got his mission. He is in the synagogue. He's in his church. He's got a crowd around him. He is teaching, and the people are enthralled. They say, we've never heard someone speak with this kind of authority. In fact, even the demons now are answering to him because a demon possessed. They bring a man who is demon-possessed. They bring him before Jesus, and what does Jesus do? Again, he's in the Sabbath, he's, in the synagogue, he's on the Sabbath in the church, synagogue, he's got this crowd, um, and now there's this. Well, let me give it to you as your first lesson, it's the first point on your outline. I want to encourage you to make room for people in need. Make room for people in need. Jesus backed up everything he was saying by also doing And so notice how the help here fits the situation that he's in. He he didn't tell the crowd, okay, just leave. I mean, he's he's speaking a message. He's he's teaching to them. And this is very short and sweet. Look at verse 25. But Jesus rebuked him and said, be silent and come out of him. So it's this short and quick, basically shut up and get out, right? To this unclean spirit that is in this man. But look what happens later that night. Look at verse 32. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases. So in the daytime when he's teaching, he has a crowd around. He knows that that is his time to teach. He knows that is his time that, okay, if someone is in need, I will take care of that. But it's as though he waits till the evening time. And even in his downtime, he allows room for people in need because that's when they come. The city comes to him to be healed. Wouldn't have happened if he didn't prioritize it. Wouldn't have happened if he didn't say, okay, I have room in my life for people in need. I, I was reminded of this when I was going to seminary. And uh, during my seminary days, I came across an experiment that was done at Princeton Seminary on the East Coast. And it's always stuck with me. It was a, um, a, a seminary professor who asked for some volunteers to come to the library at 2 o'clock on a Saturday afternoon. And so there were about 15 students who showed up. And so having 15 students, he divided it up into three different groups. And so there was a group of five, and another group of five, and another group of five. And he approached the first group of five, and he got them together, and he just talked to them. And he said, okay, I have an assignment for you. And he had an envelope. He said, I want you to take this envelope across campus to the library. And um, when when you reach there, you're going to have someone that you're going to give it to. But you have 15 minutes to get it from here to there. And if you don't get it there in time, your grade will be affected. So he gave them the envelope to go. He labeled them as the high hurry group. He came to the second group. And he said, okay, I have an assignment for you. And again, he gave them an envelope. And he said, I want you to take this to the library. But you have 45 minutes to get it there. Sent them off. And he came to the third group. He said, hey, I, I have an assignment for you. Here's an envelope. I want you to get this envelope to, to the uh, uh, library. But you have three hours to get across campus. And he called them the low hurry group. Well, unbeknownst to any of those people, he had contacted the Princeton drama department. 
And he had people along the way who were acting out various ailments or sicknesses in their lives. And so there was one person who was covering his head and his hands, and he was moaning out loud along the pathway that he knew they would be going on to get to the library. And then there was another one who was lying face down as though he was unconscious by by the side. And then there was a third one who was actually, a little later on, acting out an epileptic seizure. And as these groups went to to take care of their assignments, here's what happened. Of the first group that went off, nobody stopped for any of the people who were in need. Of the second group, two out of the five took time to stop and help the people who were in need. And then of the third group, those who had three hours to get from one place to the next, all five of them took the time to stop. And help someone in need. What's the lesson there? I, I, very simple. It's hard to love people in a hurry. It's hard to take the time when we think our own agenda is more priority, when we think, well, we have an assignment, we're just going to race through, and we've got to accomplish what we have to accomplish. Jesus had the greatest mission ever set before human beings, ever set before God. He was God in a body, fully human, fully God. He had it all they had to do. Seek and save the lost. But he modeled this perfectly for us. I mean, we don't have to look very far for another example of this. Watch this. Go into verse 35. Another day. It says, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. So you can just kind of sense Jesus waking up early, tiptoeing past the sleeping disciples. He had just facilitated this this healing in the city that had to have taken just emotional and mental and physical energy out of him. But you see Jesus in Scripture, before he has to make any major decision, before he has to do any major healing, before or after, he will take that time to pray, before going to the cross, obviously in the garden, praying, before choosing the disciples, he is praying, before this healing that he does here, and after after this healing, he's praying. Jesus, Jesus knew what mattered most. And so let me give you the second point that's on your outline, and that is this, to make room, to make room to pray and prioritize, to make room to pray and prioritize, to get out, to get away, to get with God. And yet some of us race through life as though we're the most important thing there is, and and we think we have it all together. Again, I remember an illustration, two lumberjacks, one's a younger one, one's an older one. They were racing to see who could cut the most trees down with their axe. At the end of the day, the winner was obvious. The older lumberjack had just destroyed the younger one with the amount of trees he cut down. The younger one questioned the older one and said, How could you have done that? How could you have cut all those trees down? Every hour you sat down while I kept on chopping, I kept on working, I kept on cutting. I don't understand. How could you have done so much while you were just sitting for minutes at a time? He said, When I sat down, I was sharpening my axe. I was making it sharper so that I could cut clearer. He said, why why didn't you sit down and do the same? He said, I couldn't. I was so busy, busy cutting. I was so busy. And the lesson is simple for us again. That we think sometimes we have the best way of doing things. We think just plugging and plowing through is the way to go instead of taking the time to pray, taking the time to prioritize, taking the time to say, okay, God, what do you have for me to do on this day? Not my agenda, but yours. Because look what happens here. Verse 36 and 37. 
It says, and this is when Jesus was off desolate place praying, and Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him, and they said, Jesus, everyone's looking for you. Come on, you, you got a great thing going here. This town is really impressed with you. You are healing people. We're seeing things happen. Jesus, keep this up. Come on. Come on. I mean, can you not hear that giant sucking sound, right? Just, just this vortex of, oh, man, come on. You can do this. Jesus had already prayed and prioritized. And look at what he said, verse 38. He said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also. For that's why I came. Again, Jesus was a master at keeping first things first. And he didn't didn't fall into this tyranny or the tyranny of the urgent. Someone else's expectations were not his problem. And, And I'm always amazed by this because there were so many needs for Jesus to take care of. Do you realize, put yourself back in the first century, if Jesus was just walking down the street and the people learn and they find out who he is. When he did one miracle, you don't think other people wanted him to do other miracles? Blind people calling out from the side of the road, people saying, heal me, heal me. There was so much for him to do, but he had to choose what was good, what was better, what was best. He had to choose between those. And he did so by saying, okay, what's my mission? What's my purpose? Seek and save the lost. That's why I've come. I, I mean, if I was doing it, it would be totally different. I'd probably be thinking, you know what? I got three years here. If I perform one miracle an hour up in the northern region, then I canvass the southern Galilee region. I do a half hour here and a half hour there. And, you know, kind of like a political campaign, right? right? How they travel and they go to different areas and they're greeting people. And kinda, that's, that's not what he did. He said, Father, what do you have for me? What do you want me to do? And he did that because he spent the time in prayer beforehand prioritizing, let me see my world from your perspective. Your kingdom come. As I look at this timeline, the dot is us. All of eternity is what's to come. How can I organize my life looking toward what makes a difference? Choosing how I'm going to spend my time. The people that I'm going to get to spend my time with. If you're a uh, young family here today, you have little ones at home, if you're even the one primarily who kind of is in charge at home, keeping the house and keeping the kids and kind of getting them going in the right direction, I, I, I pray and I hope that you see your children as a higher priority than, than a house cleaning or yard work or work, if you're the one working out in the, uh, out in the uh, work world, that you would see them as a higher priority because all that other stuff is just temporary. I know it's providing for them, but the, the balance, to see how that plays out. Because those kids, that timeline that we looked at, those, they are here for just even a shorter amount of time than that under your care. Some of you uh, have your grandkids that you are caring for. Something's happened where maybe your children couldn't take care of them, and so you have your grandkids. God bless you for reorganizing some of your lives where you're ready to be grandparents, and now you're helping because you know that that's going to make an eternal perspective. You know that's going to make a difference. Some of you are just caring for your kids uh, or your grandkids, and you just get to be with them sometimes and share sometimes. You're investing in them. That is so key. That's so key. Those of you who are students here, there are at times higher priorities than getting an A on a paper. At least that's what you can tell your parents when you flunked out of class, right? <laughs> 
But it's true. I didn't always set this example. I, you know, I, I was striving for it, and I wanted to do that, and I didn't have that always in my life, that, that you know what, maybe there's other things than, than just always striving for this. Now, it's good to do, and I don't discourage that at all. You need to do your best. But sometimes there are things that we don't need to get worked up over. I, I know I am who I am today because my parents believed family was more important than work. Your priorities will tell you what is good, what is better, what is best. They will tell on you of what you feel like is good, better, or best. I mean, do you realize that Jesus said no to some people in need here? He said no so that he could say yes to other people. See, these people had already heard the message. And when the disciples come and say, hey, you're ready for some more, he said, nope. But there's others who need to hear Let's go. Other place, other time, other town. And discernment to make those decisions, if we don't take the time to prioritize, we'll get drowned out in the urgency of the day. In fact, let me say it like this. Our God is too big, too mighty, and too powerful for you to push him out of the universe, the universe that he created, but you can push him out of your universe. God's not going to push himself on you. You can push him out of your universe. Even if you can't push him out of the universe. God is there. And, and, and atheists, they're going to have to answer to him at one point one time. They think they pushed him out, but they haven't. They've just pushed him out of their universe. And some of us have, unfortunately, this week, pushed God out of our universes as well. Because we like to play God. We like to get the schedule. We think we have it according to our own priorities instead of his. Um, I'm telling you about another illustration. Um, there was an expert on time management who was uh, teaching a class to uh, a business students. And he was uh, wanting to drive his point across to these kind of high-powered overachievers. And so he said, okay, got a quiz for you. Um, and he pulls out this large one-gallon wide-mouth mason jar, and he puts it down on a stool. And um, he pulls out a, a bucket of uh, fist-sized rocks. And he begins to take the rocks out and put it into the mason jar, and he puts rock after rock after rock after rock after rock, and he fills up the jar up to the very top, and he looks into the uh, students, and he says, okay, is this jar full? And I'll say, well, yeah, it, it, it's full. He said, really? And he pulls out another jar of gravel, and he takes the gravel, and he pours it inside the mason jar, kind of cascading over all the rocks. He shook the mason jar, and they fell even more into the cracks. He shook some more, and they fell all the way down. And he filled it all the way up to the top again. And he looked at his students. He says, okay, is this jar full? And they were kind of on to him now, so they said, uh, probably not. And he pulls out a jar of sand. And he takes the sand and he pours it all the way over all the rock. It kind of sifts its way down. He shakes a little bit. He sifts its way down, pours more in, pours more in, fills it up to the very, very top. He looks at them all and he says, okay, is this jar full? They say, no. Pulls out a jar of water. Takes the water and he pours it in there. And he looks at them all and he says, okay, what is the point of this illustration? And one of the eager beaver kind of raises his hands and says, the point is no matter how full your schedule is, if you really try hard enough, you can always fit more into it. 
He says, no. He says, the point is, if you don't put the big rocks in first, you'll never get it all in. You put the big rocks in first, and then it all fits. And so my question to you today is, what are your big rocks? And are they really important as you think about the timeline for all of eternity? What are those big rocks? Because one of those big rocks certainly needs to be God and his parties. That's why you're here. I know that. That's why you're listening online. That's why you're in the venue watching this now. Those are your good. Keep that up. But what are your other big rocks that you're putting into place? Family? I hope so. Other people in your lives? I hope so. Time to study, to be with other people in community group, making that a priority? I, I hope so. I hope so. There's a great story in the Old Testament that is told about Moses. If you have your Bibles, jump over to Exodus chapter 18. Again, love stories in the Bible that are so open and honest because we all make mistakes. We don't always get it right, and Scripture doesn't take those out, doesn't edit those. So many Old Testament characters in there, warts and all. And you have Exodus chapter 18, and uh, Moses is with the leader of the Israelites. And it says here in verse 14, when Moses' father-in-law saw what he was doing, that is, he was caring for all the people. The people were coming to him with all their issues and all their problems. When he saw how Moses was doing this, standing before the people day after day after day after day, answering their questions, um, when he saw this, he says, what is this that you're doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning until evening? Verse 15, and Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. Look how important I am. I have to tell them, God, what you are saying. Come on, Jethro, father-in-law, don't you know this? Look at my position, look who I am. I have to answer these people. I'm in the place of God to speak to them when they have disputes, when they have problems, when they have questions. Verse 17, Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you are doing is not good. Hebrew for el stupido, okay? Not good, not, not a good thing. Verse 18, you and the people uh, with you will certainly wear yourselves out for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Know your limits. Know what you can do. Know what you can do. Dish it out. He starts to say, dish it out to other capable leaders. It is exactly why we have more than one just staff member on our staff. We have numerous pastors on our staff that many of you go to to talk to, to get help and counsel. I'll do that with some. Others of that will, will be given to other people, and others of you seek them out. That's what we want. There are many deacons. We have 12 deacons on our diaconate board. They are here to spiritually help you as well in your church. You know who else is very helpful in all these kinds of things? Your community group leaders. I love it when I hear about issues and problems after they've already been prayed about, after they've already been visited in the hospital, after they've already had their community group come around, people support them, uh, give them food, give them help. Do I want to know about them? Sure. Yes, I want to be able to pray for you. I want to be able to help as well. But when you have a community group around you to care for people, that's how we make a difference in this size of a church. 
That's why we encourage you, get involved in those groups so that you will know that you can help others as others step up and help you. And then look at verse 24. It says, So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he said. He listened to his father-in-law. He took the counsel because you have physical limits. Your body is not made to do all-nighters. Your body is not made to live on five-hour energy drinks and other things like that. You, you, you have limits, physical limits. You also have emotional limits. I don't know if you realize that or not, but you have emotional. Uh, Bob, um, uh, Melissa, right? If Melissa all of a sudden keeled over here, hopefully that does not happen. Okay, no. Um, you could, if you had to, carry her out. You could probably even throw her on your back and carry her and march her out of here. You could do that with one other person, but you couldn't do that with five all at once. You couldn't do that with ten all at once. And just as physically we are limited and we know our limit at times, um, I think some of you take on more people's emotional problems than you need to. Pray for them, yes, but don't just keep piling them on and piling them on and piling them on. You have physical limitations. You have emotional limitations. You have mental limitations as well. And so as you are going around this board game of life, as you are traveling, I like to say that our lives are, and our bodies are a little bit like that dashboard on your car. When there are things that come up and you have issues underneath the hood, what happens? You have a red light that comes on, don't you? And it gives you a signal to say there are things that you need to pay attention to here. And you have a few different choices you can make when those red lights come on in your life. Well, let's talk about the dashboard. When that red light comes on in your car's dashboard, you can do a few different things. You can ignore it. You can put a piece of duct tape over the top of it so that it doesn't see it anymore. You can take out a hammer and you can smash that dashboard so that light will turn off and go away. Or you can pull off to the side of the road. And you can do what that dashboard's saying. Put more oil in. Get me checked out. Take care of this electrical problem, whatever that may be. And in our lives, we have things like that. You have people in your lives who are maybe showing you the dashboard is lighting up, the red lights are going on, or in your own physical limitations. Maybe it's fatigue. Maybe it's irritability. Maybe it is a feeling I'm so out of control. Maybe it's this I'm on the verge of tears. Those are all dashboard lights that are saying you've reached your limit. Reprioritize. Get the big rocks in first. Do it the way God wants you. Claim time in your schedule for what's important or else it will be claimed by the urgent and the things that are not important. Again, Jesus was a master of this. He's like, man, this is so important. I need to get away. I need to pray. I need to prioritize about this. Some of you, if you are in a marriage right now, I don't care how old you are, how young you are, you need to set aside time to connect with your spouse. I encourage you, take regular date nights. Do that so you connect in that way. Pull aside, even from, from work, maybe it's at work that you need to go just, just do something different than sitting behind a desk. Go sit at a park for a little while. Tell your boss your pastor said you had to go sit at a park during the day, all right? It's pastor Derek who said that, not Pastor Brad, so I'm not going to get in trouble for that one. Even throughout the week, taking a day 
to do virtually nothing. You know why that's, why that's so important? Because it made God's top ten list. You shall not vi- violate the Sabbath. Keep it holy. Set it apart. You know what the word Sabbath means? It, it means practically do nothing. Don't have all these priorities and these agendas and these schedules. It's do nothing. And it's on that list just as important as do not lie, do not steal, do not cheat, do not commit adultery. It's on that list. Do not murder. And last I checked, it was the Ten Commandments, not the Ten Suggestions. So those are still in place. God's telling you what to do. How to, if you don't come apart from some of your busy schedules, you will come apart. Guaranteed. Prioritize. Prioritize. Obviously, then, one of the last highest priorities, but the largest rock on the back page is to make room for God. To make room for God. How? I I gave you some suggestions here. God uh, invites us to get away daily. You see that out of Luke, where Jesus withdrew to desolate places to pray. I'd encourage you weekly. I just talked about that. Exodus 20, remembering the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And also completely, this is very important, where you have cell phones, where you have other things that, that require time and attention. Get away and get away completely. It was by a desolate place, by boat, that Jesus would go, even with his disciples, to get away. And again, when Jesus was available, he was there. He was available. He was ready. But when he wasn't, he just pulled aside. I'm not here. I'm unavailable. I'm gone. Go to the top of the mountain. Tiptoe away from all the disciples. Get away and do it differently. And so let me ask you as you look at this. Have you pushed God out of your universe? Your priorities will tell you. Your schedule will give that answer to you. Maybe ask the people who are closest to you. If they see it, if you can't be honest about it. I uh, always love hearing feedback as to how people are growing in our congregation. This last week I got an email from a gal who tells me, she's a a young mom. Uh, She said, thanks for the sermon, very convicting, talking about last week. She said, my husband and I have been throwing out the idea to try and not buy anything, um, or, or to not buy anything that is not a necessity. She said, after today's message for the next six weeks, which is the length of the church study that we are going through, she said, we're only going to buy food, toiletries, basically only things that we have to have, that we need. No more new clothes, no Netflix, no going out to eat. She says, you get the point. She says, our culture is ridiculous and so messed up about our wants and our needs. She says, now I'm not exactly excited about doing this, But I know that in the end, I will hopefully have a clear understanding of the difference between needs and wants. And then watch this. She says, and I want to start to raise my children with that understanding as well. She said, She said, okay, here we go. She said, now I don't want anybody to know about this, which is exactly why I'm telling all of you about this right now. So... No, I, I, I emailed her back, and I said, would you mind if I didn't use a name but shared? She said, sure, go ahead. She said, uh, okay, here we go. She said, I may be cursing your name if I see any clothing sales or super cute fall fashions. Um, that's my weakness, she said. And then we kind of emailed back and forth, and she says, you know what, to be honest, I am excited for this, although scared. She said, it's going to be more challenging than I thought. I've been praying about even cutting back on my coffee as well. 
know, I didn't say this because I don't want to offend all of you coffee and donut drinkers and, you know, all that kind of donut eaters, but, okay, she clapped, so I'll agree with her. She said, come back on my coffee as well. Because she says, I rely on it so much and use it as an excuse. I'm cranky. I haven't had my coffee. Or am I just happy and joyful because of my coffee? She says, no. Joy comes from the Lord. She said, please pray for us as we do this. I'm hoping at the end of the six weeks that we'll want to continue living this way. And then she said, I pray for you when you share this for open ears, open hearts, and closed wallets. You know, one of our senior saints heard me share this in the 8 o'clock service and came up afterwards and said the same sort of thing. She said, I'm seeing what I can do by not going shopping. She says, I love to shop, I love to shop, I love to shop, but I haven't been. She said, it's actually been fun to see what I don't need. And I said, now think about this too. We have this campaign coming up here in the fall for paying down the children's building and what we could give to the Lord for the eternal things rather than spending it. And she says, I'm way ahead of you, Pastor. I'm way ahead of you. I've already been thinking about that. And maybe we as a church could redo, rethink some of the things that are temporary compared to what's eternal. And when we do, we'll see. Are we keeping the first things first? Or have we pushed God out of our universe? And so I just ask you that. When you think about your life and how much you're pouring into the jar, have you put the big rocks in first? Because when you do, the rest fits. And you do it the way God would have you do it. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, again, thank you for the example that uh, you gave us through your son, Jesus. The one who came to this earth to seek and save the lost. And God, sometimes we can get lost in our schedules. Sometimes we can, we can lose the priorities that really you have given to us. God, forgive us when we push you out of our universe. You you can't be pushed out of the universe. You're too big. You're too grand. You you are the one who sustains everything. But, Lord, you've allowed us to push you out. You've allowed us that choice. Because you desire for us to worship you by our own free will, not because we're commanded to. And, God, for whatever reason, there are people in this room. I am one of them. We've let other things get in that place. We've forgot to put the big rocks in first. The big rocks of praying to you. The big rocks of taking that quiet time with you in the morning. The big rocks of worship. Even, Even, Lord, I thank you for these hundreds who are here today to listen to these words because it this is our big rock. We know Sunday mornings, this is important to reprioritize, to get things focused on how we start off a new week. God, thank you for always starting anew with us. That when we come with you to you with openness, when we come confessing that we haven't been doing it right, that you are so loving, you are so forgiving. And with your arms out, you embrace us. And you say, come. Let's do it a different way. Let's do it my way. So Lord, may we this week 
put the prayer and prioritizing in first. May we always have room for the needs of others. And God, may, um, may the first rock that goes in be of you. May it be your schedule for us. May it be our time spent with you. May it be what we deem most important and claim that here today. That is what you are doing in and through us. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for accepting us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for coming to teach us. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Now that's going to go with us so that we don't just learn this lesson now and here, but as we walk, as we drive, as we spend time, as we work, everything we do this week. Lord, may your agenda be in us. May your Holy Spirit be reminding us what truly is most important. We love you. We thank you. For it's in the name of Jesus that we worship you now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.